2. Luke chapter 2. And I'm going to begin, uh, I want to read to you um, this section of scripture, a few verses here after the, the, um, or announcing the birth of Jesus. Luke gives um, quite a lot of detail about the Christmas story, what we call the Christmas story, about the announcement of the birth of Jesus by the angel uh, to Mary to Joseph, and here in Luke chapter 2, beginning in this chapter, it, it begins by saying, and it came to pass in verse 1, in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And that decree caused Joseph and Mary to have to return to Bethlehem because that was um, the town that Joseph was from. <clears throat> And so everyone was to return to their, their place of birth, their hometown, and a census was to be taken. And of course, Mary was, was soon to deliver um, the baby Jesus, and so she was pregnant as they made the journey to Bethlehem. And you know the story, they got to Bethlehem, and she was ready to have the child, and, and there was no room in the inn, so they ended up in a stable. Uh, what what many believed to be was a, actually a cave that was was made into a stable, and she had the baby Jesus. And it says in verse seven, and she brought forth her firstborn son. Uh, notice that it does say firstborn. Jesus was not the only child that Mary had, contrary to to um, some doctrines. There, Jesus actually had. Uh, I think there were four brothers and at least two sisters. That Jesus had, but Jesus was Mary's firstborn. So she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring to you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. And so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all, these, and all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. And so Christ the Savior was born that night in Bethlehem. And God revealed this news first to these shepherds. And they came and the scripture says they came and they beheld the baby. And they went and they made it widely known to all that they came in contact with. All that they had seen. All that they were told. All that was reported to them. Isaiah 9, remember we were been looking at the scripture over the last two weeks, verse 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. 
and upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. For unto us a child is born. And Luke reports, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. But not just a child being born, the prophet says, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only born son, that whosoever would believe in him would have everlasting life and would not perish. For unto us a son is given. Go to John chapter 10. So John chapter 3, Jesus, it is said, came because the Father gave his only begotten son. But in John chapter 10, let's look at the words of Jesus. Let's begin in verse 11, John 10, 11. For unto us a son is given. In John 10, 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. In verse 17, Jesus goes on and he says, Therefore my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it. Again, no one takes it from me. See, Jesus did not have his life taken from him. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Unto us a, a child is born, unto us a son is given. The father gave the son, but the son came, and the son said, no one takes my life. But I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down. Or we could say it like this. I have the power to give my life. And I have the power to take it up again. This command I have received from my Father. For unto us a son is given. And in John's gospel in the 19th chapter in the 30th verse. Jesus is on the cross and when they gave him the sponge filled with, with sour wine, he said these words, It is finished. And the scripture says that he breathed his last and gave up his spirit. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. In these verses, just in these three Sections of scripture that we looked at in the gospel of John, we see that the spirit has revealed the son that is given. When Jesus was that child born in a manger, think about this church, God placed his gift in the world when that child was born and he was laying in that manger. God placed his gift in the world. But when Jesus hung on that cross, that gift of grace, that costly gift, was unwrapped on that cross. And God made known to the world the gift of grace that was freely given. It's kind of like you have Christmas presents under your tree right now. And they're wrapped up. And unless you're cheating, you don't know what's in those packages. And the Lord Jesus, when he was in that manger, God placed his gift in the world. And do you know, the overwhelming majority of people in the world, the overwhelming majority of people in the world, did not know what was wrapped inside that flesh. They did not know the gift that God had placed in this earth. But it was a gift. And on the cross, that flesh was torn. That flesh was ripped open, and I'm telling you what, God unwrapped his gift of grace and made it known to the world. And that grace, that gift of grace was not taken by force and forced upon anyone. That gift of grace was freely given 
When Jesus said, it is finished, the package was unwrapped, and for all to behold, there was God's gift hanging on that cross. And since that time, since that time, that gift is open, that gift is known, that gift is available for those who will, through faith, receive it. It is the most costly gift ever given. It is the most costly gift that can ever be received. But it costs you and I nothing, in a sense. We didn't pay the price. He paid the price. And we may think, I remember before I was saved, I remember in that period of time when God began to deal with me. I I believed in God all of my life. But believing in God and believing that Jesus is a real person did not save me. I thought that I would be saved when that day came that I would stand before God, whoever God is. I always pictured God as some old man sitting on a glorious throne with long white hair and a long white beard and and I'm going to stand before him and he's going to say, well you know you lived a pretty good life you did a lot more good things than you did bad things so you can come on in. That was my concept of God. But when I came to know the truth and I understood who Jesus was and God began to deal with me the only thing I could think about was what I would have to give up In order to have eternal life. And there's a lot of people. There are many even in the church. Who think about what they have to give up. In order to be a Christian. In order to be saved. In order to go to heaven. I'm going to have to give up this thing. I'm going to have to give up this lifestyle. I'm going to have to give up. And we think that because we do not understand that what we have. Is absolute death and absolute darkness. We have nothing to give up. God paid the price. What we have to offer Jesus is nothing compared to what he offers us. What he offers us is life. The only thing we can offer him is our death. That's it. Not just our dying, but our death. Because apart from Jesus, we have no life. We are not alive We have nothing to offer Him. And that's why the Scripture says that it is by grace. And it's only by grace. Because what we have to offer God is is nothing of value to Him. It's nothing that He needs. It's not a necessity for Him. It is simply by His grace, because of His love. That he freely gave the son. That the son freely laid his life down. So that we could be raised in his life. In his newness. We exchange our death, our sin, our darkness for his light and his life. That's a pretty good deal, isn't it? That's a pretty good deal. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. God's gift of grace has been unwrapped. That the world would know that costly gift that was freely given for us. And the scripture goes on in Isaiah and it says this, And the government will be upon his shoulders. The government will be upon his shoulders. We saw this picture of Daniel's vision in Daniel 7.13. I'm going to read it to you very, very quickly, Daniel 7.13. And I'm going to take you to the New Testament, to the book of Ephesians. Let me read Daniel's vision. Daniel 7.13, you can go there with me if you want. This will be a Bible drill for you today. We're going to look at a, a lot of scripture. That's why it's always good to bring your Bible with you to church. Daniel 
I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him, this Son of Man, near before him. Then to him, then to the Son of Man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. Jesus said in, John, in uh, Matthew 26, 63, he said to the high priest, he said, I say to you, nevertheless, you will see me seated at the right hand of majesty on high. And the high priest tore his garment. And what's interesting is it was unlawful for the high priest to tear his garment except when blasphemy was committed. And when he heard Jesus say those words, utter those words, he tore his garment. He said, this man speaks blasphemy. Ephesians chapter 1. Let's go there. Stephen and Acts, as he's being stoned, he said, look, I see the Son of God standing at the right hand of power on high. And they ripped their garments again and they stoned Stephen to death. Here in Ephesians chapter 1, let's begin in verse 15. Paul is praying here. And the government will be upon his shoulder. This is Paul's prayer for the believers. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And here is what my prayer for you is, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that your eyes, that your blind eyes would be open. That your eyes that may be dimly seen would be able to see more clearly. That you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his mighty power. Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but also in that which is to come. There is the dominion. There is the power, there is the glory, there is the kingdom that Jesus has received as he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Now look at verse 22, and he put all things, how many things did he put under his feet? All things. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. Who is his body? The church. Who is the church? This building? Some institution? Some label? A denomination? No, we are the church. We are the body of Christ. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't die for an institution. He didn't die for a denomination. He didn't die for anything. He died for a people. And we are the people of God. Peter says it this way, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's who we are. That's the church. And it says that he has given him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills some things. What are we to fill? All things. The fullness of him who fills all things. And the government will be upon his shoulder. 
The government is upon him. And not only that, but look in chapter 2 of Ephesians while you're right there. And look at verse 6. Well, let's look at verse 4. Chapter 2, verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In case you missed what he said in verse 22, he is clarifying in language we cannot mistake in verse 6 of chapter 2. Look what verse 22 says. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Now, throughout the New Testament, the scripture says that Jesus is the head and we are the body, right? And he gave him to be head over all things to the church. He put all things under what? His feet. That's us. He has put all things under his body. He is the head, we are the body. You see, remember what I taught you a few months ago about when we talked about community and we talked about the oneness that we've been brought into? There is no separation. If you are in Christ, there is no separation between you and Christ. It's impossible. If there is, then Jesus' body is separated. And I promise you, Jesus' body is not separated. If your hand, if your foot, Let's just use feet because the Bible says he's placed all things under his feet. If your feet are not connected to your body, is there life flowing to them? No. Do your feet have to get a third party permission to find out what they need to do from the head? Does the head have to go through somebody else to tell the feet what to do? No, there is a direct connection between the feet and the head. Why? Because it's one body. This is what the scripture teaches. And so the scripture says that he has put all things under his feet and made him to be head over all things to the church. My head is the head over my feet. We are the body. Jesus has been made head over his body, the church, who is the fullness of him filling all in all. When you plant a tree... When you plant a seed in the ground, let's just, say a, let's just say an apple seed. You know how big an apple seed is, right? It only takes one apple seed to make one apple tree, right? From that little bitty seed comes an apple tree. Let's, let's think about a live oak tree. You know how big live oak trees get? They get really big. You know how big an acorn is for a live oak tree? It's about that big. It's about as big as the end of my thumb. That's how big an acorn is. From one acorn, you can get a whole live oak tree to grow. When that acorn is planted in the ground and that tree begins to come forth, do you know that there is everything in that acorn to produce that live oak tree? Have you seen how big live oak trees can get? I'm, down, I'm from South Texas and down around the San Antonio River, Guadalupe River down there, there are some trees that are just absolutely massive. I mean, there, there's trees. I've seen live oak trees that, that almost would not fit inside that drum cage. They're just so giant. Do you know that tree came from an acorn about the, the size of the end of my thumb? <clears throat> everything, everything, everything to make that 70 to 80 foot tree grow to maturity. Everything was inside that acorn. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that is just absolutely amazing. And do you know what? The fullness of that tree is seen. How? It's seen by that which is growing out from the ground. And we see the fullness of that tree. The fullness of that acorn is not seen in the acorn it is seen in the tree that grows from it. Yet the fullness is in that acorn. Do you know that Christ has been described by himself as a seed planted in the ground called your heart? And Christ has, by the Spirit of God, implanted himself inside of you. 
And the scripture says that God has seated him in heavenly places. And by the way, he has seated you in those same heavenly places with him, the scripture says. And made him, made all things, put all things under his feet, given him the name above all names. He's the head over all power, over all principality, over all dominion, over all might, over everything. He is the head over it. And he's placed all things under his feet. That means from head to toe, he has dominion. He has authority. He has rule. And we have been made one with him because that seed has been implanted in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be Upon his shoulders. Who are the shoulders? What part of you are your shoulders? You would say your shoulders are part of what? Your body. His shoulders include his body. That is the church. Why am I telling you this? Because it's important for us to understand what has happened. What has transpired. When Jesus said upon that cross, it is finished. When he finished his work on the cross, he was buried in the ground. And three days later, he was raised. And he was raised in power. He ascended to the Father. And he received a kingdom that shall never end. He received, the scripture says, a dominion that is over every. Name over every principality, over every power, over every rule. There is nothing in heaven, there is nothing in the earth that is not under his authority. That's what he said in Matthew 28. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, the government will be upon his shoulder. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, those words were written. And if we do not have a revelation of the government upon his shoulders, and all things under his feet, then we will not have a revelation of the increase of his government in peace. We won't. And that's what the prophet says next. Look what he says that I wanted to bring to your attention. And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Where is the increase of his government and peace? Where are we looking for it, church? Are we looking for it out here? Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is within you. If there is not an increase of his government and peace here in our hearts, there will never be an increase of it in this earth. Now, Jesus is going to come one day and he is going to establish his rule physically on this earth. The creation is awaiting that day when, when, when it will be ultimately released from the curse. But I want you to understand this. The curse does not have dominion over Christ. The curse does not have dominion over you if you are his body. It does not. Even if we live... In bodies that are still subject to the fall. And we do. Because you can read. I don't have time to read it to you today. But go to Romans 8 and read Romans 8. And you'll see. That there is yet to be. A redemption of our bodies. But Paul says we're saved in this hope. Remember. Biblical hope is not like worldly hope. His hope is a sure hope. It's not a question of if my body will be redeemed. It's only a question of when my body will be redeemed. But the fact that I can say it will definitely be redeemed, you know why I can say that? Because he has been given a kingdom that shall never end. He has been given the name above all names. He has ultimate authority and dominion over everything. Say, so yeah, but people are still dying. Yes, the scripture says death will be the last enemy that comes to subjection to him. But I'm telling you what. If God wanted to right now. He could, he could do whatever he wanted. He could, 
He could send the Lord back right now. He could wrap this thing up right now. You say, then why doesn't he? Well, you'll have to ask him. Because he's the one that has dominion. He's the one that has the authority. He is the one that will determine when that will happen. But don't ever be mistaken into thinking that just because it has not happened yet, that it will not happen. And don't fall into the deception of believing that just because it has not happened yet, and there still seems to be death and destruction around us, that maybe Jesus does not have all authority. Mm -mm. He has absolutely all authority. He is the sovereign. He is sovereign over your life, whether you want to believe it or not, whether you want to like it or not. He is sovereign over my life. Whether I want to accept it or not, it does not matter whether I accept it. It does not matter whether I believe it. He is sovereign over my life. He is. His is the kingdom that will never end. The government has been put upon his shoulder. The increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. From that time, even forever, the scripture says. Now, while we're in Ephesians, let's go to, to chapter 3. Flip over a page. Ephesians chapter 3. So this government has been placed upon his shoulder. The son has been given. He has been raised. He has come to the ancient of days and he has received his dominion. He has received the kingdom. He is seated at the right hand of majesty on high and all things have been placed under his feet. That's what the scripture says. And it has been given to him to be head over the church which is his body, the fullness of all that fills all. Now look at chapter 3. Let's begin in verse 10. To the intent that now, everybody say now. Now Paul wrote this, let's just, let's round it off and let's just say 2,000 years ago. Paul wrote these words almost 2,000 years ago and Paul says now. Do you think Paul meant now when he said now? I can promise you when Paul wrote now, he meant now. He didn't mean Sometime in the future, he meant right now. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by who? By the church. Who is the church? Put your finger right here and say, I am the church. Look at your neighbor and say, if you're in Christ, you are the church. That's right. It has been, it's the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. To who? To principalities and powers in heavenly places. Did you know that? Did you know that you have been placed on this earth to make known the wisdom of God to principalities and powers in heavenly places? Those are the good ones and the bad ones. Those are the fallen ones and the angels of light. The good guys and the bad guys. That your very existence makes known to them the wisdom of God. Whether you know it or not, your life is communicating a message. The question is, what message is it communicating? Is it communicating the wisdom of God? Or are the powers and principalities up there going, what a bunch of fools. I can't believe God was so stupid as to, what do you think? See, if we don't understand what's transpired at the cross, if we don't understand how Jesus has absolutely changed the world, the world is not going to be changed. Honey, the world has already been changed. We just don't know it. We're living in a fog because we have bought what the world says. We have bought what the lie is. I'm telling you what, the world has been changed. It's not a question. It's a done deal. What? Is our life communicating now to those powers and principalities? Are we making known to them through our very lives the, the wisdom, the manifold wisdom of God? That word manifold is interesting. There's not really a word in the English to, to accurately describe what it means. It means many-sided, many-colored, variegated. We get our word variegated from that word. In other words, any way you want to look at it, it, it 
God's wisdom is beyond description. God's wisdom is multi-sided. It's multicolored. It's multifaceted. You're never going to find the end of it. You're never going to find the beginning of it. You're never going to find the middle of it. What God has done is so high above what anyone can think or imagine. I mean, the devil couldn't even imagine it. Had he known, he wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. What God has done is so far beyond what we can comprehend. But here's the truth. The scripture says our life is making known that wisdom to principalities and powers. Now let's continue. According to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus. Where was that purpose accomplished? In Christ. It was his eternal purpose. It wasn't plan B because plan A failed. I mean, God didn't have a... a, a, Call a time, a time out. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, let's have a huddle. I wasn't thinking about Adam committing sin in the garden. Now what are we going to do? Well, here, here's plan B. No. No way, Jose. There was no plan B. God is much bigger than that. It was his eternal purpose. That means it didn't have a beginning. It has always existed with God. It was his eternal purpose. Look at this church. Which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Why do we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him? Because he said it is finished. Because he's done the work. Because he has been seated at the right hand of majesty on high. Because he has been given the name above all names. Because he has given us his very name. And he has placed us in heavenly places with him. He has seated us with him there. And he has placed all things under his feet. We have boldness and confidence through faith in him. Because of what he has done. Not because of what we have done. But because of what he has done. Because God has accomplished his eternal purpose in Christ Jesus. Therefore, Paul says, therefore I ask you, do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Can you hear what Paul, can you hear, can you read between the lines what Paul is saying here? He's writing a letter to these believers that love him with all of their heart because he birthed this church. And he discipled these people. And he's writing to them. And they are tormented over the fact that Paul is imprisoned. They are tormented over the fact of what Paul is suffering. And they probably realize that Paul is not going to escape his death sentence from Caesar. And Paul says, do not lose heart at my tribulation. What God has done is far greater than my tribulation or your tribulation. Don't lose heart at it. For this reason I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. That he would, look at this, now Paul begins to pray for them in this letter. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. According to the power that works where? In us. In us. Why? Because Christ is in us. The same spirit, the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. According to the power that works in us. To him be glory. Look at this church. To him be glory where? In the church. How? By Christ Jesus. To who? To all 
generations forever and ever. Do you see where Paul was looking? Paul was looking far beyond Ephesus. And he says, to him be glory in the church. Why? Because the government has been placed upon his shoulders. Because the increase of his government and peace will be, there will be no end from that time forward. Isaiah wrote, looking forward to the cross, from that time forward even forevermore, the zeal of the Lord shall perform it. And Paul says to him, be glory in the church. The scripture, not Pastor Jeff, but the scripture says, God is to be glorified in the church. Church, are our eyes open? Are we seeing? Are we comprehending what God has done through His Son? Are we believing the lie that the world is trying to feed us? That we're just some irrelevant, meaningless group of people that have an outdated belief system? That everything in the world says contrary to what this book says? Are we going to start believing that? Or are we going to believe what this word says? This word says that upon the shoulders of Jesus there was a government placed. And that when you were born again, you were brought into that fellowship of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And you became one with Christ. There is no separation between you and Christ if you are truly born again today. And you have been made part of His body. And that means you have been seated with Him in heavenly places according to the great Apostle Paul, according to this inspired word right here. It's what it says. And that God has placed all things under the feet of Jesus. And Paul prays repeatedly, right here in the book of Ephesians especially, that our eyes would be open, that we would be able to comprehend what God has done by His great power working in us. That He would be glorified through the church, in the church, by Jesus Christ to all generations. That prayer right there, prayed almost 2,000 years ago, hits us square right where we are today. We are the generations forever and ever that Paul spoke of. We are a generation now, some 2,000 years later, we are a generation that is still to be glorifying the Lord God Almighty in His church by Jesus Christ. Do we believe that? Do we know that? I pray that you would. This prayer for a continuing revelation of the glory that is to be given to God and revealed in His church. The glory in the church is not the glory of the world. The world has no glory. See, if we're looking for glory out here, you're not going to find it. There is no glory in the world. You know why? Because the world is darkness. The world is in darkness. The world is darkness. We are the light. Christ is the light that has come into the world to give light to every man. And he has placed his light in us. He has chosen to dwell in us. This light that has come into the world. The sun has risen. We are to go and expose the darkness to the light. That the light may dispel that darkness. Do you believe we have the power to do that church? Do we believe what the word of God declares about who we are? Do we believe that we have been given the name above all names? Do we believe that we are truly seated in heavenly places? Even though you're seated in that brown chair right here at Taylor, Texas, at Christ Fellowship Church, do you understand what it means to be seated in heavenly places? That we have a position in Jesus Christ, a position in His government, in His authority, to bring about the increase of that government and that peace? And that needs to begin right here in us. That we need to say to those who are in the midst of the storm, peace be still. 
Not necessarily to the storm out here, but to the storm in here. Because the storm can still rage out there, but you can still have peace right here. Jesus walked on the water while the storm was raging. He walked on those waves in the midst of that storm. And if Jesus can do it, you know what? I believe we can do it. Now don't go literally trying to walk on water because you'll probably drown if you don't know how to swim. But do we understand what Jesus was showing us in the Scripture? That He was showing us that even though the storms of life are raging all around us, there is a way that we can walk in the peace of the Lord. That even though it seems like the storm will take, take me over, will take me down, there is an authority that I have over the storm. I can speak to the storm. I can walk in the midst of the storm and have a peace that passes knowledge and understanding. How can we do that? Because the government has been placed upon his shoulder. And the scripture says of the increase of that government and peace, there will be no end. From that time forth, it started, it has been, and it will continue to increase forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. It has no end. It has no end. You say, even though we're at war, that peace is increasing? Yes, it is. Even though the world's gone crazy, you mean that peace and his government's increasing? Yes, it is. How do you know, Pastor Jeff? Because the scripture says so. Yeah, but what about everything we see and read? Are you going to walk by faith? Are you going to walk by sight? Are you going to walk by faith? Or are you going to walk by sight? See, God will set all things in order in his time. The, the, the nations rage and the kings plot vain things. They did in Jesus' day. They still do today. But of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And this increase, I have to stop here because we're out of time. But in Ephesians 4, Paul talks about this increase. Let me just take you there real quick because I want you to see this. What is the increase of this government and peace? He himself gave some, Ephesians 4.11, to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. We're all saints, church. If we're in Christ, we are called saints. We're not saints because we do a bunch of good works, because we earn some name for ourselves. That's No, we're saints because of the work Jesus did. Saints is a term used in the Bible to describe the people of God. The people have come to faith in Christ. And I simply am a person that has a specific vocation. And my responsibility as a saint with this vocation as pastor is to equip you saints along with myself for the work of ministry. For the building up of the body of Christ. How long? Till we all, till we, not the world, God will take care of the world. Till we, the church, the saints, come to what? The unity of the faith. Come to the knowledge of the Son of God. Do you know there is a lot of the church that does not have the knowledge of the Son of God? Well, they know who Jesus is, and they might even be saved. But, but they don't know, they don't have knowledge of the Son of God that is enabling them to walk in his government, to walk in his peace and in his authority. And I'm not preaching to you some name it and claim it theology. I'm talking about us understanding what Jesus Christ did when he did his work on the cross, when he came out of that grave in resurrection power, when he ascended to the Father and received that kingdom and now has seated us in heavenly places with him. I'm talking about knowing who we are in Christ and, and what Christ has done. And he says, till we all come to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect, to a complete man, to the measure 
of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children. I'm going to skip to verse 15 because this is the thought. You notice that we should no longer be children, comma. And then he describes what children do. Children are tossed to and fro. Children are moved by every doctrine. They're moved by the trickery and the cunning and the craftiness of deceitful men. That's what happens to children. He said, don't be children any longer, but speaking the truth. See, the truth will make you free. Speaking the truth in love, what? That you may not be children, that you may grow up in all things into Christ. Do you see the increasing? Do you see the increasing government and peace? There is an increasing, a growing to maturity. The scripture says that the body of Christ is in the process of doing. Who is bringing us to maturity? It is the Holy Spirit. Remember, what did the prophet say? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And we are being equipped for the work of ministry, for the building up the body. Till we come to this, till we come to the complete man, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, there must be an increasing in us and through us that the Spirit of God affects, just like that acorn that's planted in the ground. Can you explain how that acorn grows to be a 70 or 80 foot oak tree? I can't explain it. Can you? I'm sure there's a scientific explanation. But the reality is, you know why it does? Because there's life there. Where did that life come from? Now, the scientists can explain it all they want, but they still do not know where the spark of life came from that has caused all things to grow and flourish and come to what they are. Some plant, some water, but who brings the increase? God brings the increase. Who is bringing you to that measure of increase, to the fullness of the stature of Christ. It is the Spirit of God in you that is doing a work of increase, bringing you to the fullness of the stature of Christ. And as that happens, there should be an increase of His government and peace taking place in our hearts. And we are called to make known that government and that peace and that name which is above all names, we're called to make that name known. To go and to pull back the darkness of this world, that the light can invade it and dispel it, that the knowledge of the glory of God would fill the earth like the waters cover the sea. Hallelujah. I have to stop there. I have much more to say, but we'll do it another day. Amen? Know who you are in Christ. Know what Christ has done. Know what he has called us to. What he has accomplished. And what he is continuing to accomplish and bring about through the power of his spirit working in you. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand.